0: Welcome to Star Wars Action News, your source for Star Wars collecting news, reviews and convention coverage, hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. Helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Be sure to check out our website at SWActionNews.com where you can see photos of the items discussed chat with other listeners, find links to our Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube pages, support our Podbean crowdfunding campaign, and much more. Star Wars Action News, covering the whole galaxy of Star Wars toys.
1: Welcome to Star Wars Action News, The Last Jedi Review Show. This is Marjorie.
2: This is Arnie, and we have got a slew of people ready to talk about Star Wars Episode
3: Eight. Joining us in whatever order Skype has decided, Andrew everybody. I'm really looking forward to talking to you guys about Daddy's Home 2. I know that it's uh, kind of uh, divisive amongst the fan community, but uh, we'll have to hash it out and see where we end up. Can we forgive Mel Gibson when
2: he <laughs> returns in this kind of role? Curtis.
4: Hello, hello, hello.
2: Chris. Hello, everybody. How's it going?
4: Daryl. Hello, everyone. Ready to eat some fried pork. <laughs> Mm, yummy.
5: Jerry. You know, I just want to say this review will be the spark that will light the fire of podcasting throughout the galaxy. <laughs> and I will continue to say that like four or five more other times throughout the show. Go ahead.
2: Somebody hand that man a broom.
6: <laughs> Justin. Hey, I'm ready to talk election 2016 with you guys. Wait, we're talking a, a movie that came out a couple of weeks ago. So maybe... uh Maybe the internet is on fire for a different reason
7: than what I thought it was.
6: From all the way over in the UK, taking no-dos
2: just to be with us, Steve (laughs) the
7: Ginger Prince. Greetings, this is Steve the Ginger Prince, and hey Arnie, if we're going to force Skype each other, then you could at least put a cowl on.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And special guest from this weekend's Star Wars, Matt Foxer. Um... Yeah, I'm holding for general hugs. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we give free hugs. (laughs) Okay, so Star Wars, The Last Jedi. Make sure, set the ground level. Everyone's seen it.
1: What? I didn't see it yet. Don't spoil it, guys.
2: The spoiler alert is in effect, so...
1: But how long is the spoiler alert in effect for? Do we (laughs) have, like, a worldwide consensus?
2: Until episode nine comes out.
1: Oh, (laughs)
2: I'm just saying this podcast, we're probably going to talk about the movie. So if you don't want to know, save this episode till after you've gone. All right. Initial reactions. We're going to go in basically reverse order. Just 10,000 foot overview. How'd you feel about the movie?
7: Foxer.
8: Interesting choices, but I think there's a good movie in there if they had just weaned it down just a bit.
7: Steve. Disappointing. Half an hour too long. Uh problems with tone, uh, problems with humor, um, just generally problems. I just have to ask, are you able to get
2: past what they did to Akbar or is that going to be a sticking point? <laughs> I,
7: I may mention it once or twice.
2: <laughs> it's like Marjorie can't watch any movie where they killed the dog and so I want to be sure that it, it's not all about the Akbar.
7: <laughs> No, no, no. It's not all about the at-bar. At-bar is my second biggest problem. Um, so there is, there is a bigger issue for me than that. But, yeah, it, it's one of, one of many problems. Um, I'm not saying I didn't enjoy the film. Um, I, I, I give it 7 out of 10. Um, but it's oh, right that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, but it's right near the bottom of my ranking of all the Star Wars films. I, I think only Attack of the Clones is below it. Justin.
6: I've seen it twice. First time I saw it, I walked out a little confused. Had a few questions, but overall I enjoyed it. Second time through, I walked out and I enjoyed it a heck of a lot more than I did the first time. I my my ten thousand foot view of this is it's got some of my favorite Star Wars moments in it from any of the movies that we've seen so far.
2: It was the milking of the space cow, wasn't it?
6: That's that's on the list of top five. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry. You know, I actually saw
5: this movie four times, so I figured wow. I either I either like the movie or I hate myself.
6: Um, <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> but no, the, the raw reaction for the first viewing, and number one, the reason I saw it so many times is that I just had different people I wanted to see it with or wanted to see it with me. And we just, some of us just couldn't get together at the same time. But anyway, my raw review, my raw thoughts of just seeing it the first time, the guy I saw it with said, Hey, Jerry, what'd you think? And I said, I don't know. Talk to me on Sunday after I've seen it a couple times because I don't know what I've witnessed. But I will say this. One of the one of the things I, I, I will say is that there's a lot to talk about with this movie, and I'm dying to talk it with someone. And, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, that, I think that gives this movie some credit to just say, hey, this, there's a lot of provocative stuff in here that just you know make makes, it, I think, Star Wars fans hash it out. So I'm, I'm really excited to talk about
4: it. Daryl? I uh, really enjoyed it on First View. A couple of big things that I really didn't like, but as far as like the nitpicky things on a second, third viewing have really tamed down and I'm really, really enjoying it a lot better now.
9: Curtis. I may be the person who's only seen it once and I was very emotionally primed to go in, but overall I think there was more content than context and that is going to be a problem if it's not addressed in the future.
10: Chris. I've seen it twice after the first time I saw it. I loved it after the second time I loved it even more. And this is, I'm still trying to decide if this is number three or number four for me in the ranking of all the movies.
3: Andrew. This is one of those movies that, uh, shocked me, uh, not because of really what happened, but because it, uh, had me guessing throughout and uh, that really says something for a star Wars movie. And the first time I saw it, I've seen it twice. First time I saw it, uh, I had the same kind of reaction as Jerry did where uh, the friends that went with me asked me, you know, what'd you think? And I said, I have too much to process right now for me to give any sort of thoughts on uh, what I just saw. Uh, But what gets me is the fact that, you know, was it four days later I'm still thinking about scenes in that movie. And that hasn't happened to me before with the Star Wars movie. So overall, I'd say this is a great film. Whether it's a great Star Wars movie or not might be a different discussion. Um, it's you know not going to be my favorite right now. Honestly, it might be ranked either two or three on my list. Marjorie.
1: I've seen it twice, once in IMAX and once in 3D. I don't think there's anything special about the 3D was or Arnie just out of depth, right? Yeah, I mean, I thought
2: some of it was pretty good, but not necessary.
1: I don't see much 3D. I have some conflicted feelings about this movie. While I just, it kind of felt at times like it was a parody of Star Wars, kind of like how they did the scary movies and things like that. <laughs> I, I, I did like the Luke... And Leia scene a lot, but I, I really felt this movie was, like, way too long, and I, if I start to get antsy, that means that it's not doing a good job telling the story, because I start to get antsy and think, oh, well, you know, I could go and go to a restroom and wander around the theater for a little bit until I am not antsy and I can come back and probably didn't miss much.
2: And I'll admit I have my problems with this film, but... I do think it's probably my third favorite Star Wars film. I think it goes Star Wars Empire Last Jedi. And that's pretty good, given that I put The Force Awakens right underneath Revenge of the Sith and Return of the Jedi. And so it's got a good place. I just have certain problems that I walked out of every single prequel with problems. And I walked out of The Last Jedi with less problems than I did any of those And with time, I was able to get past those problems. Sometimes the novelizations helped. Sometimes talking it out helped. But I really enjoyed the film. Let's kind of go through it by character. The one they were really teasing us with, Luke Skywalker's big return. How did it go against your expectations? Were you happy with Hamill's performance and what they did with his character?
3: Personally, I think this is by far Mark Hamill's best performance that I've ever seen uh, on screen. Uh, I didn't know what to expect out of his character in this movie. Um, And right off the bat, the very first thing he does is basically tell us what to expect in this movie. You know, since the force awakens came out, all the fan speculation of, Oh, you know, what's going to happen. What's it going to do? Is he going to light the lightsaber? Is he going to give it back to to Ray? Nope. He's just going to check it over his shoulder, and I feel like that's kind of what this whole movie does uh, in regards to uh, fan speculation and also, to some extent, most of what J.J. Abrams set up in The Force Awakens.
10: Well, later on, he calls it out, too. I know he's talking to Ray, but he says, this is not going to go the way you think it is. And you're right, Andrew. I was going to mention that exact point that you just mentioned. He tells us right away that this is going to be different by taking the lightsaber and just chucking it over and kind of marching away like, I want nothing to do with you, Ray. So right there, he's telling us different. Uh, I agree. I think this performance by Hamill is great. It's emotional. Uh, I think it's a different interpretation of Luke. Um, Today, I had to kind of think back and go, okay, what has Luke been through for his whole life? And does this make sense leading up to this point? And I could see how Luke would become what he becomes in this movie.
6: You know, for me, I thought Hamill gave a great performance. I mean, anything he does as Luke, obviously, is going to be Luke. And he he obviously brought it all to this role this time. My, my question to most everybody here my, is going into this movie, I didn't have expectations. I wasn't, like, walking in saying, okay, I can't wait to see Luke levitate an entire island or do something super crazy force-like that we've never seen before. What I wanted to know is why was he secluded on this island? Because that was the only thing we really knew, is that he had been on this island, and we didn't know why for sure. So let me ask you this. Was the payoff of why he was there a good enough payoff in your minds? Not not for me. I I,
7: I didn't like what they did with Luke here. Luke is, is one of my favorite characters. Return of the Jedi Luke is... It is, it's something that I, I really loved as a kid. It, it's one of the things that, that, that sort of made me feel happiest about about Star Wars. And I really didn't like what they did with him here. And I think it stems from his reason from being on on the island. The sort of um, mini Rashomon sequence that we got from um, Johnson t- retelling the uh, s- sort of reason for the destruction of the Jedi Temple uh, three different ways from three different points of view. Um, it... it I I didn't gel with with any of that, and and, and I couldn't see um, sort of Luke trying to kill his his own son. Um, That just isn't the return of the Jedi Luke that I remember, Um, and and from that, his sort of development doesn't work out for me.
2: Nephew, right, Steve? You said his own son.
7: Yeah, sorry, nephew. Yeah, yeah, nephew.
8: I agree with Steve. I, I don't know what I expected because we never really saw a Jedi, full-blown Jedi Luke in any of the original films. And, I mean, in Jedi, he had just become a, a Jedi. So I don't know what I expected of him, but this wasn't it. And, you know, I recognize, okay, he went into seclusion because he created Kylo Ren or felt that he created Kylo Ren. But it just seems like he was running away, and I never thought that was sort of the Luke Skywalker approach to things.
9: And I'll agree with that. That's not what I expected, but I enjoyed what what he gave. And with all of the gotcha moments in the movie, I was hoping to see more of him in the flesh, interacting with more than just Ray going forward. And I think that was a a problem for me. I I really
7: wanted um, Hamill to show what he can do. I rate Hamill. I think he's a good actor. I wanted sort of... uh, you, you know, Oscar nomination sort of performance. And and I don't think we quite got that, not because Hamill didn't come up with the goods. I think the scenes that Hamill had on his own, um, he, he, you know, he did really well, but I don't think he interacted with Ridley very well. And I think that might be more Ridley's problem than it is Hamill's problem. Uh, I, I found Hamill's acting fine, but I, I found Ridley quite wooden when she was interacting with, with Hamill on her own. Um, I thought she was a lot more comfortable once she got into, um y- y- you know, bigger scenes playing off other people.
2: I agree. I keep going back to what they said about how great Mark Hamill's performance was in The Empire Strikes Back. Because everyone walked away from that movie thinking Yoda was a real character. And I've dissed Hamill's performance in that a few times in the far past. And what people say, what Lucasfilm says is... You've got to look at the fact that it's Mark Hamill who convinced you Yoda was real. It was everything in Hamill's performance that convinced you to believe in Yoda. And yet nothing Hamill does convinces me to believe in Ray. So therefore she is less than a Muppet.
5: Oh, see, I I (laughs) totally disagree with that. I I really enjoyed Ray and Luke's interactions, particularly later on when she's the one calling... Luke on the carpet for telling the truth and, and really teaching him things about how he failed Kylo. And I think if, if, if Luke was going to go in seclusion like that for any reason, I would have to think it would be for something major, like, Hey, for a split second, I thought about killing one of my students. And in turn, I turned him into a monster. That does seem to me like something that would run Luke off versus something that's, let's say more, more petty than that. So I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk to her about her separately, but I enjoyed uh, Daisy's performance, both against
3: Luke and Kylo. What I liked with what they did with the character was that it, it's kind of twofold. They, they humanized him. And that was kind of the point of what Luke was getting at when he was talking about the Jedi and himself and that, you know, he had become this legend and that that's a major burden for somebody to have on his shoulders. And when, he is trying to live up to that legend, and suddenly has that moment of uh, of weakness where he is going to strike down his nephew. That's kind of a powerful thing to think about. That you know he, in the in the original trilogy, he gave everything to save his father, and destroy the emperor. and got rid of the, the evil in the galaxy that way. And when he looked inside his nephew and he saw all of that starting to happen again, of course he's going to have that moment of, I should stop this before it gets too bad. And then when he, he says that he ha- he stopped himself and was left with nothing but shame, that hit home because he is just a guy. Sure, he's a guy with you know Jedi powers, but he's still a man who has feelings and emotion and guilt. And I think that's a powerful message that that this movie is trying to get across.
10: I don't know that I can say it much better than that, Andrew, but that's, those are some of the exact reasons what you and Jerry have described is, is if there was one event that could make him kind of turn tail and say, that's it, I'm done. I'm going to shut myself off from the force. I'm going to go hide on this island where no one can find me because I could have dire consequences to the galaxy if I was to allow myself to go down that path again. I mean, look at the lineage here. I mean, you look at the lineage of where he came from, you look at Anakin's path. Now, Anakin went to the dark side for a different reason, but Anakin also got very prideful and, and Anakin was very full of himself. Uh, We see that in, in the clone wars cartoon and that kind of thing. And look at what it did to him. So Luke is recognizing that, Hey, this is going to be a bad situation. I could have I could have really, I mean, he's done damage here because he does create Kylo Ren, but I really could have done some damage that would have impacted my character, you know, how I feel about myself. I mean, he's already shameful, but I need to go and just remove myself from the situation because it it, it could have been worse.
7: But in doing so, he he turns he turns his back on 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 the galaxy so to speak, he turns his back on his own sister. He turns his back on on his his best friend Han. Um, uh, and again, I uh, as much as he he might for, sort of feel shame and, and and not want to precipitate future events by turning his back on all of that, then he 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 precipitates those very events. He, you know, but by, by taking that course of action,
3: I don't want you to think that that I think that he made the right decision. Um. But I am saying that I agree with the choice to make his character be human and make mistakes. Uh, and that's the whole point of his arc in this movie. And I would argue the only real arc that he has character wise in the entire saga uh, is that he he needs to learn from his mistakes instead of running off to an island and hiding from them. I mean, that that's the point of Yoda coming back
6: and telling him that he needs to, you know, wake up and, you know, face the music. And I can see it as a humanizing thing. Like you guys are saying for him to make the decision to take himself out of the equation, you know, I mean, in his past, his friends were used as a pawn to bring him out to the, you know, to get to Vader, you know? So, I mean, I, to me, it probably wasn't an easy choice for him to make, and it was, I mean, it sounds like some people think it was cowardice. To me, it almost sounds like it was a, a major sacrifice for him to leave his family and friends behind.
7: Maybe I've just got a problem with the fact that I don't want my Jedi humanizing. As I say, at the end of Return of the Jedi, you, you know, Luke Luke was a hero. He was, he was sort of my hero as, as a kid, a hero for a lot of people. Uh, and maybe I don't want him humanizing. Maybe I want want him to um stay a Jedi un, until the end. In this case, um, what I'd consider uh, an untimely end to the character.
10: That's a that's a fair point, Steve. But I also want to point out that the Jedi as a whole were flawed. Yoda calls it out in the prequels and, and Revenge of the Sith. They they were flawed themselves. Too many of them were prideful. Too many of them were were believing they were uh more than they should have been. And he calls it out, and that's how come we get the rise of the empire because they can't see what Sidious is doing behind the scenes. So,
7: but, I mean, but for me, but for me, that that was the prequel Jedi. Luke was supposed to be the the antithesis of this. This, you know, Luke was supposed to be the Jedi that wasn't going to be any of that.
2: But look at what Ryan Johnson said, and just the overall strategy of the new trilogy and the movies going forward. You say, Stephen. I agree with you. My inner child agrees with you is what I'll say that I don't want Luke Skywalker, the hero that I wanted to be when I was five years old. I don't want him humanized. I don't want him fallible, but that's not great storytelling. And what Ryan Johnson said is Luke's hero's journey ended with return of the Jedi. This has to be Ray's hero's journey and Luke is a supporting character. They put him in the Yoda role, down to the fact of disappearing at the end, and Yoda did the exact same thing. A single lost fight with Darth Sidious. Into exile, I must go. I mean, if Yoda trained Luke, he trained him well. One failure, get your tail between your legs and get the hell out.
6: (laughs) And wait for your Padawan to show up eventually.
8: (laughs) Yeah, but Yoda was waiting for Luke, exactly. Luke did not want Ray. to, he didn't want to train Ray. He wasn't waiting for her.
7: I think there is an issue here with where this sort of trilogy fits. Um, For me, what I wanted out of this this trilogy, 7, 8, and 9, is I wanted a a continuation of of the the six films i I wanted it to continue those six films and end that story so once we got past episode nine and they give Ryan Johnson his new trilogy then that is a completely new and a, a separate trilogy that's got that nothing to do with this but what I wanted was this trilogy concluding satisfactorily now I thought JJ started us out on that path he he made some um some decisions some choices he set things up. And I think what for me what Johnson's come in and done here is some quite selfish filmmaking. He's made the 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 um, the choices that he wants to make, not really thinking about where this is going as a trilogy and in in the place of the whole nine films. He's closed off a lot of the stuff that that JJ opened up um, it, it, in in wanting to just make his own film and and take this one film where he wants to. I don't think he's thought ahead of where this is going into 9 I think he's made the film he wants to make for 8 and I think JJ's now got to pick up the pieces and and finish this um you finish this trilogy at the end of 9 and hopefully make it all make sense. And I think it is a little bit artificial judging 8. I'm, I'm wary that it's a little bit artificial judging 8 without having the context of 9. Somebody said before it, it it's content and, and not a lot of context. So I, I think we do need that context of 9. But that is, that is my worry, um, my, one of my biggest worries really, as to where this is going beyond this with a lot of the... Um, the the, the, the characters being killed off and um you know not a lot left there really in, in, from my own point of view
2: let me assuage your fears steve because i agree with you when this movie ended i walked out feeling like i'd seen the end of a trilogy and i didn't know what part three could be but ryan johnson first of all it's easy to ascribe the auteur theory here as he was writer and director, but don't think this didn't go through 18 drafts. And every single step of the way, he was working with Kathleen Kennedy and the story group had to approve every decision here. And he wrote a 15 or 20 page treatment for episode nine. JJ can choose to do this or not, but everything Ryan Johnson did, he did with the conclusion in mind. He. Planted seeds for someplace he wanted to go, which is the opposite of what J.J. did. J.J. left Ryan with nothing. He said, yep, I don't really know what any of this is. Figure it out. Ryan left a treasure map, at least. And obviously, Lucasfilm is happy because they're giving him his own trilogy. I mean, clearly,
5: I don't think Ryan Johnson in a vacuum is making any of those major decisions like, yeah, hey, I just decided Ray comes from nowhere. But, but Steve, I will say one thing that to me, it was very obvious, if nothing else, just of the direction of the movie that, yeah, that this movie was made by somebody totally different than who made Force Awakens. It didn't feel like it belonged in the same trilogy. Like I said, I don't think Ryan Johnson was deciding that, yeah, hey, JJ starts something pretty interesting there. I'm not going to do anything with it. There's little lines like, you know, I don't know if this is Ryan Johnson, maybe writing it to JJ or writing it to Lucasfilm, like, when he says, "Hey, will you, you know, Snoke talking to Kylo? Hey, will you take off that ridiculous mask?" and then we don't see it the rest of the movie. Is that Ryan Johnson saying, "Hey, that was I thought that was really stupid," or was that Lucasfilm? Like little things like that. But, but I don't and know, large, but it,
2: it was had me cheering because it was like speaking for me on the screen. That's <laughs> <laughs> kind
5: of what I felt like. But it, but it felt like it felt like the it did feel like the middle chapter of a different trilogy.
9: The other line that's repeated several times is. You must kill the past to move on. And I do feel like this was episodes and nine pushed into one movie and episode nine will be almost a complete new start with almost no carryover characters or locations because we haven't seen any repeat locations from either original or prequel trilogy yet. And that may be one of my biggest problems with the movie.
8: See, that's one of the things I want to thank this movie for, is that it's sort of cleared the decks for Episode Nine. We, There aren't going to be a lot of loose ends to tie up. We don't have to get rid of Kylo Ren and Snoke and Luke and resolve it, everything. Really. It's going to be Kylo Ren versus Rey, and it's pretty clear that that's just going to be what Episode Nine is. And for all these other movies, we've been waiting with so many ends to tie up in this series and another series. I think it's a nice break.
10: It's nice to see, for me, new locations. It's nice that we're not following the same path that we've followed before, because then it just, the story just gets stale because you're just repeating the story that's been told before. So we're we're getting this new uh, these the new material. Uh, I like the repeat of the no repeat of locations. I also like the fact that the the big one here is that we find out hey. Ray's parents aren't who you thought they were if Kylo's to be believed. And I like that, that, that Ray was not of any lineage that we know.
1: That really is going to upset some people if it didn't already, because I think everyone built up a Snoke theory and a Ray theory. And I saw everything from Ray's a Skywalker to she's Kylo's sister and all of this. And I I can't tell i don't know personally which i prefer i still don't have i have mixed feelings about her parents are nobodies but i i saw a lot of people building up to this movie for certain that they found all these clues that ray was skywalker a solo and all this other stuff and it turns out she's nothing if we are to believe that even
2: yeah i mean it's up to jj they asked ryan johnson about that entertainment weekly did and he said it's up to jj if he wants to keep it that way, but in his mind, yes, he does not want the Skywalkers to be the central line anymore. He wants to return it to anyone can be a Jedi. You don't have to have midichlorians in your blood. And Snoke, you know, I think that this was great because a lot of the problems I had with The Force Awakens, he fixed He fixed Snoke by cutting him right in half. He fixed this whole Ray parentage thing by just wiping it off the board. When she went down into that cave, I thought for sure I was going to see Ewan McGregor's face staring back at her. And the fact that it was herself, I like the fact that he, like Luke with the saber, tossed it over his shoulder and tried to do what I would consider a course correction. I think one of the reasons I hold this movie so dear is because film over film, it's just such an improvement and it actually retroactively made me like the last film better the way it talked about ray i never got that the force awakens i mean i never thought about it that much i guess the force awakens meant it awakened in ray she says that in so many words in this and it helps me to understand why she could be so powerful so quickly and luke's saying he's only seen this raw power once before
6: yeah this this movie is about if it's about one thing it's about decoupling the force from everything we thought we knew about Jedi and Sith. Every movie we've seen before this has dealt with Jedi owned the good, the Sith owned the dark. And this is starting to unchain us from that so we can move forward without the Skywalkers. I mean, I just this this is such a huge galaxy that once again felt big after this movie. I mean, for if you look at the entire I don't it's not even a trilogy anymore. What is it? Is what is it? Nine, nineology? If you look at all that, I don't know where nine is going, but it feels like a much bigger galaxy once again after this movie for whatever reason.
3: And I think that the fact that she is in Nobody serves two purposes. One, just in this film, one of the, the key components of it is talking about how even a nobody – can be somebody, right? Ray comes from nobody. You know, Finn talks about how he used to, you know, mop the floors of the Star Destroyer and he ends up saving the day. And uh, you've got the little kid at the end who's a slave who is nobody and, and can grow up to be somebody. And then on the other side of that, you know, and I think that you guys were kind of alluding to this, is that it starts to set up what Lucasfilm is going to be doing after nine. They don't want to be tied down to a particular lineage. They want to be able to tell any story that they want about any character that they want. And the fact that they are making that separation in this movie frees them up to do that.
7: But I didn't want this trilogy to be used to set up a future trilogy. I wanted this trilogy to end this trilogy, you know, to end this series of nine films. Um, and I, And I think that's that's one of my larger problems with it, you know.
10: How many of us, though, like watching other films have, have complained, I guess, in the past about it's everything's too interconnected. There's too many nods like how how we have this big galaxy and we keep running into these same characters. I know we've mentioned it. We mentioned it when we discussed Rogue One. We've mentioned The Force Awakens. We've mentioned it before. So for me, I was glad we're, we're kind of we're kind of moving it and we're saying, you know, to Justin's point, it's it's a huge galaxy and it's nice to just see something different and see that not everything is interconnected and it's not this small group
7: of people that we continually follow but for me that's what the anthology films are there for and what the new trilogy is there for
1: there's a big difference between things like that like the fan service things and then going overboard and i'm sorry rogue one when they had dr evazon and panda baba running through whatever planet they're on on their way apparently to catch a ship to the cantina that was a bit much and there's a certain point where this fan service just makes you roll your eyes and you feel like you're being pandered to
6: but he doesn't like you i don't like you <laughs> <laughs> but steve i just i guess you and i'm not picking on you but you seem to be the the biggest detractor of this movie on the call so far um what part of this do you feel like is not tying up the original trilogy or whatnot, but that's, I mean, we still have Skywalker lineage going on. Kylo Ren is of Skywalker blood. That's the through line. Was there, was there another story
7: you felt like needed to be told? No, I, 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 I just wanted, I, f- from my point of view, greater respect given to the characters from the original, um, the original trilogy going through. I wanted proper ends. We're, we're veering towards Atbar here, aren't we? Um, uh, you know, proper, <laughs> Proper ends for characters. Let, let's take let's take Atbar as an example. Come on, you've you've lured me into this. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you all know my my character's Atbar. He, he's my boy. Um, and, and and for me, what they what they did with him here was absolutely despicable. They had a, an opportunity to um, give him a, a, a proper a proper send off, deal with the character properly, and he he, he died as a, a name drop in, in an explosion. Yet they created this new character, um, Laura Dern's character, purple-haired Admiral Holdo, and they created this new character that, that was only there for sort of 20, 25 minutes of screen time, and they gave her the, the glorious hero's death that surely that could have been given to Akbar. For me, it was a bit of an, an, a no-brainer that that could have been Akbar steering the, the cruiser, um, you, you know, at, at hyperspace through the Snoke's destroyer.
6: I definitely agree with that. Yeah. But look at Finn's
7: story here. Finn takes a backseat
2: to new character Rose. And truthfully, if there's one character I would like to see excised from this film,
7: it's it's Rose. The whole film was half an hour too long because of the inclusion of the, the casino planet, Canto Bite. For me, that whole plot thread could have been excised.
10: I was just going to agree with that. I was just going to say there's a few characters in here and this is me loving the movie there's a few characters that i think you could have cut from here you know i didn't think of the the admiral uh being cut for admiral akbar that makes sense to me now hearing it but you also in my opinion you could have cut rose and you could have cut dj we didn't need dj you know if you really wanted to make rose that much more interesting you could have had rose be the slicer and we could have had her do everything that he did without having to go off to canto bite there's your half hour there we go I just that whole Canto Bight scene. I mean, I didn't have much that bothered me. The whole thing on Canto Bight was was not. That was my least favorite part of the film.
5: Again, kind of as as I said, that Ryan Johnson seemed like he made a movie that belonged in a different trilogy. That scene was from a different movie. It it's, it to it's me jarring. felt it, it felt like something out of Doctor Who with the aesthetic and just kind of everyone acting like they're just in 2017 earth at a casino and i know it's a galaxy far far away and there's you know thousands of systems and billions of people and yeah hey there's gonna be uh, people who look dress and act like a little bit of everything but man that was that was like throwing the handbrake on the movie and saying oh wait we're gonna go here now and do this really meager task i guess so that we can introduce these three kids who will inevitably grow up to be the stars of the next trilogy with little Jedi broom boy, but it was just so incredibly out of place for the pacing and what this movie needed. That was just the wrong choice. And I agree. I agree with what several of you have already said. There would have been a more streamlined linear way of writing that I, I would have rather seen Finn and Poe sneak into that star destroyer to, uh, shut down a sensor or something. So the cruisers could get away. I mean, there'd been so many easy ways of giving your previous two, main characters a lot to do versus them taking backseat back seats to new characters
2: i agree i think that there are too many characters part of me feels like ryan johnson was saddled with finn and was like crap i have to write him a story too but the main story of this film is the world's slowest chase waiting for the cruiser to (laughs) run out of gas i gotta say that is if I walked out of this film the first time and I said, yeah, I really enjoyed that so much more than I thought. And then I sat down to write a plot summary for Now Playing and I'm like, wait a second. It's just waiting for a truck to run out of gas. I don't know that as, <laughs> if just from a plot standpoint that that's all that great. Come hey, on. Even,
6: hey. It worked for speed. Even <laughs> Hey, even even Huck's questioned that. <laughs> I can see that being a plot device that's easy to pick out, but... Is it any different than the Death Star showing up on the wrong side of the moon and having to orbit before they can shoot the Rebel base? I mean, it's just it's it's giving us a time frame to work with and it sets a clock and puts it on the wall for us. So it it creates a little bit of tension throughout the film.
5: Well, I don't want to be uber nerd here, but almost set up too much of a clock because it 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 occurred to me that everything that Finn and Rose did, they would have had to have done like an inside of 10 hours. And that kind of bothered me a little bit because, you know, they had to travel, look for the look for who they're looking for, get arrested, be in the prison. Fortunately, there was just another code breaker in that jail cell with them. Do their great escape. Get on the ship. Fly back. And that was that all I think had to be within 10 hours, because I think at some point they said we got about 14 hours and then it was like, "Ah, we got four hours. So all of that happened in 10 hours. And that was kind of weird.
6: 10 space hours. Granted. You know how many time zones you go through when you go through light speed?
5: <laughs> <laughs> Which actually would have made the trip worse.
2: <laughs> what about Kylo Ren? I didn't like him much in the last film. I was really upset that they let him kill Han. I felt he was an unworthy villain. Like, you needed a really good villain if you're going to kill Han. Here, I'm surprised. I think that they took his weakness and really made it a character trait. I ended this movie loving him as a villain.
1: I just want to say that, first of all, I think Adam Driver did a much better job in this movie, and I'm blaming J.J. for Adam really not using the skills he's got. I I think he did great. I'm starting to kind of like Kylo Ren being this unsure, kind of weak guy. But I have to see how it plays out and and how it's going to go. Because, I mean, the potential here is to have a really great, impotent, supreme leader. But are they actually going to go through with it? I mean, I, JJ, I'm kind of concerned about if he's going to take what was right about this movie and continue with it.
6: I think... I I know we question JJ a lot, and, you know, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of his, or I'm not a huge, I'm not the first one to sit up and stick up for him. But I will say this, I don't think he jumped in and wanted to do Episode nine until after he had seen and read what Ryan Johnson was doing with this. So I don't think he's coming in just to play cleanup, to be fair. I think he's coming in because he really enjoyed the direction that Ryan Johnson took this second chapter. But with Kylo Ren, I will say this. I I enjoyed his character in the first one because I think what they were trying to do is just create this impetuous, you know, at first you're supposed to think Darth Vader. But the more you peel the layers back, you realize, oh, this is just a kid who is kind of out of control and maybe more powerful than he should be. But in this one, we do get to see some more emotional attachment and we get to hear him speak and the way we get to peek and decide his mind and why he thinks the way he does. But it did bring up one question for me. In the scene where they were going on the the capital ship, and he had the chance to pull the trigger to shoot on the bridge, and he knew his mother was there, he didn't take that opportunity. So that kind of calls into question if he went, really did ignite the lightsaber with Han in the first movie.
3: Oh, I think he, I think he ignited that lightsaber and and killed his dad, and I think that that was probably one of the reasons why he didn't pull the trigger. kill his mom because that is still fresh in his mind you know you you look at him in the force awakens and he's expecting that once he once he kills his dad he's expecting that he's no longer going to have this conflict that that's going to be the complete snuffing out of the light inside him that keeps trying to pull him away from the dark side but it doesn't happen he's still got this rage and this this anger and and this conflict he questions whether or not that was the right decision. And you see that kind of conflict throughout this entire movie. He's constantly unsure of what it is that he should be doing until Ray turns him down. And then he just has all outrage and anger and knows exactly what he wants to do. He's just not entirely sure about how he should go about doing it.
8: Yeah. And bear in mind, I mean, unlike the other star Wars films, this one, takes place immediately after the other one so he had killed his father like a day before he had the opportunity to kill leia so i think it was still probably weighing on him i think just the the character of kylo ren i think made the biggest positive jump from the force awakens to this film of all the of all the new characters i think driver did a great job he had i think the best performance in the whole film and you know, his decision at the end where you think, oh, he's turned good. He didn't kill Ray. He killed Snoke. When you find out, no, that was just like a Sith apprentice killing a Sith master, even though I know they're not Sith. And it was just a bid for him to gain power. That was, I think, a good opportunity that they took advantage of. And I look forward to seeing where they take him in the next film.
7: So where do Bye. they take him in the next film then? Are we on a redemption arc here? Is that where it's ending? Are we getting to the end of nine and he's he's going to, um, you know, balance it out and, and 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 join the light again um I hope not. or or is he well you say that it's one option isn't it um sure. or or is he going to become a, a really big bad or is there another bigger bad out there um personally i i'd like to see him because they were completely ignored in in, in this episode i'd like to see him sort of get his homeboys get his knights of wren um back together And and then form a a, a, you know the sort of bad team as it were.
2: I think he is the ultimate bad when the film ends. I think he has ascended to full power. You know the the way Anakin pushed Mace Windu out a window and then became a complete Sith. I think we've seen Kylo Ren finally resolve the conflict within him. The way he's commanding all the armies at the end tells me he is now an actual legacy of darth vader instead of a wannabe but the one thing i have to disagree with you matt that you said is that adam driver gave the best performance in this film i think adam driver was very good do not get me wrong but shockingly the person who i thought would gave the best performance in this film and i thought she gave the worst performance in the force awakens is carrie fisher i was really concerned about her performance And especially this being her last film, I think if she has to pass early, this is a command performance to go out on. I think other than (laughs) spaceflight,
7: I like everything she does in this film. Totally agree. I think her performance was superb. I I thought she was shocking in The Force Awakens, um, but I I was amazed at how good a performance was here.
8: I agree. It was better than I expected to get, for sure.
10: Yeah, I made some notes here, and and I did make a note here that Carrie Fisher's performance was top for me. I think Adam Driver was very good, and certainly I would say he comes in second. But I thought Carrie Fisher's performance was excellent. I loved it.
9: Carrie Fisher uh, did exactly what she needed to do given the role of Leia. If you compare her to Padman Episode 3, it's (laughs) amazing how much someone can do with really seated and standing lines in a building and on a spaceship.
5: You know, to go back for a second, the one of the things I actually had a conversation with a coworker today over lunch, around, hey, what's episode nine gonna be? Because he was he was making the strong argument that he could not view Kylo Ren as the big bad because he was so poorly underpowered compared to Snoke. But I said, well, but he he defeated Snoke in a very different way. In yeah, he's the one who's in charge of everything now, and I really liked how Kylo was. Forget the Sith, forget the Jedi, forget the Resistance, forget the First Order. Ray, let's just let's just make it you and me, and we'll do what we want. And I I thought that was refreshing. It wasn't so black or white either. You're Sith or you're Jedi, and pick a side. He was he was on the side of let's just make it me and you, and we'll do whatever we want. I, I thought that was cool. So I I'm guessing Episode Nine is just going to have to be, I think a redemption story for Kylo doesn't make any sense. He killed his dad. He was. He was going to chop down Luke, and you can argue that indirectly, because of what Luke had to do to to face him indirectly, directly, that really cost us Luke as well. So I, I can't see a reasonable scenario where Kylo turns to the good side, because who's he going to turn against? Snoke's gone. But I, I really think it's going to have to be Rey having to step up to be the next Jedi. That'd be a horrible title for Episode Nine, but whatever, to really be the next leader of the Jedi Order. And have to take Kylo down. On Carrie Fisher, Uh, yeah. Hey, I, I I found it tough to watch scenes with Carrie Fisher in Force Awakens. And Arnie, I agree with you. After the first couple scenes where she interacted with Poe, and you know, actually, you know, was giving him some good coaching, mentoring. You know, was being a leader. I was like, okay, you know, she is playing this general role really well. And you know, if folks don't have other comments, I'll I'll throw in my my thoughts on the uh, um the the, the space lay. I mean. My biggest problem with that, and I'm sure we all have lots of things we'll say, is not not actually what happened on screen, but just from a movie, ta- movie perspective, a cinematic perspective, is that we never saw Leia even hinted of having Jedi powers anywhere in Force Awakens or in this movie before or after. In my mind, she does because I'm used to... 20 plus years of EU to where she's an active trained Jedi. So I I get that she has it, but the movie sets it up to where that's the only thing she does with force powers. And it's, and it's like ninja level Jedi skill to, to be able to do something like that. And that was just really weird.
3: I I see what you're saying, Jerry. I know that's a a common issue that people are having with that scene. I I would like to mention that. I mean, Sure, she doesn't show any of that in The Force Awakens, but she shows that she has some sort of Force ability in The Empire Strikes Back when she has that um, telepathic moment with Luke. So we know from that that there is a seed there. And in Return of the Jedi, Luke tells her, "You know, you will learn to use this power as I have." And Yoda had told him to pass on what he what he learned. It's been what basically 30 years since Return of the Jedi. Who's to say that during those 30 years, she didn't, you know, spend a, a few months at Luke's Jedi Academy. You know, take a look even at, at Luke in the original trilogy. Like, he spent an hour with Obi-Wan Kenobi on the Millennium Falcon and learned how to reach out with his feelings. And suddenly he's able to, you know... You know, shoot a, a torpedo down a tiny hole in a Death Star without using a targeting computer. So I, I mean, I, that, I understand that we don't see it happen, but I'm perfectly okay with not having to see it happen. And you know, there's also the the thought too that it's it's kind of a a uh, unconscious ability that she's using there. That you know, she's unconscious, and then suddenly the Force kicks in, and she just you know has that intuition and the instinct to to tap into it and use it.
2: I don't know if this will be in the 20 minutes of cut scenes that they've announced will be on the Blu-ray, but there were scenes where Leia discussed running her own training academy. Apparently, she and Luke both were training and she was very strong in the Force and then she had been and got involved with being a senator and being in the Resistance and so she didn't do that anymore. But... Maybe that dialogue would have helped. I It would have at least been a little bit less out of the blue. But to be honest, my meta knowledge of what happened to Carrie Fisher, I see her floating out in space. I'm like, well, there you go. That's That's how they dealt with it. But when she came back, that just blew me away. I'm glad she did, though, because we got to see her on screen with Mark Hamill again.
1: Oh, and that was worth it. But I, I guess I I don't know that I need the whole 30 years what she been doing. I knew she was force sensitive. And I, I kind of feel that they could have done maybe the flying scene so it wasn't so comical. And that was the problem. Is she looked like freaking Mary Poppins. And I think they used the same technology, for lack of a better word, when Ray was being attacked by Snoke. It looked all very safe and very stiff. I
2: actually think... When Leia was flying into the ship, it didn't look at all like Ray. It looked like South Park. It looked like literally cut and paste and just like dragging her across. She had no motion whatsoever. Ray, yeah, it was harness work, but I, it just literally felt like construction paper, scissors and paste with Carrie Fisher going back in. I think that's part of my problem with it. It isn't that she came back in from space. It's that It looked really bad.
7: I I thought it was horrible. It is my single biggest problem with the film. It's the reason that I think I'm never going to be able to watch this film and totally enjoy it, totally not have that moment take me out of it. And it's for all of the reasons that you've you've sort of discussed between you. Um, She basically resurrects herself. For me, she's dead out there and, and she resurrects herself. She then flies in in this comical fashion. But the worst of all of it. Is that no one mentions a damn thing? No one comments on it. There's there, there's 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 no one on the ship sort of looking at it and mouthing "WTF." It, it's just accepted that this is perhaps something that Leia does every now and again. Just sort of floats along, uh, you know, the Republic cru- cruiser, and um, it's. Oh, the whole the whole scene really took me out of it, and it took me on first viewing. It took me from that point till the appearance of Yoda, which, by the way, I think was superb. But it took me till Yoda appeared to sort of get me shit back together, and 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 think, and you know, perhaps I can enjoy the rest of this film, and, and perhaps I can make something of it. It really, really was a a, a film spoiler for me.
6: It is it I, is jarring, like everybody has said. The first time you see it. It's, it's jarring and it, it does pull you out a little bit. But by the second time, and I knew it was coming, I was able to accept it a little bit more. You know, it still looked a little goofy. It looks stiff. I You know, I'm hoping that after a while it becomes the type of thing where I'm having more of an issue of why is their bridge so susceptible to missiles? Like, what shouldn't that be the most reinforced part of their ship?
3: You know, I mean,
6: why well, it's the same all... thing
3: with the Star Destroyers, right? Their bridge, you know, they said an A-Wing fly right through it. So um, apparently that's just a design flaw that those people <laughs> at Canto Bite need to kind of figure out.
5: <laughs> Everything that some of you guys have been saying about why it makes sense. Yeah, that, that's the logic that's obvious. We, we we even see in this movie a little bit of Luke reaching out to her. Leia can find Luke on Bespin. Yeah, we know all that. We know she's supposed to be a Jedi. At least we Think we do? Legends could be thrown out, but I just think it's poor filmmaking that the one thing she does as a Jedi is so amazing out of nowhere. And just I loved what you said. it People, I guess, in some way, did act like, "Oh yeah, hey, that's just Leia being Leia. She does that uh, every other week." I mean, she gets blown out of a bridge like all the time. So, I mean, it it, it was weird like that. And then <laughs> it was kind of funny. And this is nitpicking, but at the end, they get to the uh to the rock pile, and they're like, "Oh, we're stuck." And we, when we need Ray to move all the rocks, it's well, hey Leia, just go over here and like do your magic again because you're like uh, a thirty degree level uh, black belt or something in in, in saving yourself in of space. So that that's why I found it jarring. It's it just it was weird. And Arnie, you're right, it was comical, but that for me was less of it versus just the the poor storytelling of. Oh wow, you mean Leia's able to do this too because we don't have that sense in this new trilogy.
8: I agree with everybody that I thought it looked weird. My question is not how could she do it because okay, it's a force pull, whatever. That seems to be a basic thing. But why why did they do it? Was it I mean, I did not know. I was totally spoiler free. I didn't I assumed she was going to die in this movie since she was dead. I I I was that spoiler free, so I thought that was it. And I'm wondering if the whole reason that scene was in it was sort of To make people like me think, oh wow, they killed her in the first 10 minutes. But if that's not the case, if you're going to keep her alive through the whole film, why is that? Why does she even get sucked into space and then come back? It's just, it's more unnecessary stuff in a film that's already got a lot of unnecessary stuff.
10: I'm going to echo what pretty much what a lot of you have said. I know she's force sensitive. That wasn't the problem for me. I already had that knowledge. The way it's filmed, it just looks weird. And there's two moments in this film that really just jarred me out of the film momentarily. One I forgot about by the end of the film, but this one I did not. This one I remembered at the end of the film, and I was just like, that was just awkward, and I think it's the way it's filmed. I don't necessarily have a problem with her doing that, but we've given no context, and I think it was Steve that said, now we're just kind of led to believe that she does this thing all the time because it seemed like it was no big deal. It just, It's just weird. It just kind of just didn't fit. And so that's my problem with it is it just it just took me out of the film. And that's the that's probably my biggest ding against the, you know, uh, the the film is that scene right there is just very jarring.
6: I so, will say this real quick about this scene is in retrospect, after you walk out of the movie and as we're thinking about it now, what what it's missing is the Princess Leia theme, which does add. A bit of emotionality to it as it's happening on screen you know thinking about it in a vacuum right now it seems goofy but in the moment i can see how it can be powerful and justin
10: while you mentioned since you mentioned the score there i'm going to take this opportunity to say that john williams is on point in this film the music is on point i was disappointed with the music in the force awakens there was there's some good music in that movie don't get me wrong but it just didn't seem to flow. And this movie, it seemed to flow again. It seemed like John is back and, we, and we've got the score that we're used to having. And I love the score. I think it helps tremendously.
7: Totally agree with that, Chris. I thought I thought the score was superb. I, I, again, I, I really like Ray's theme from the Force Awakens soundtrack. But for me, that was the only sort of standout piece of music. Um, but yeah, I, this used the existing score well. Um, to complement the sort of new pieces of music that he created for it.
2: I liked the soundtrack well enough. I think he brought back... I was surprised he brought back some of the war music from Revenge of the Sith, but I felt like it was lacking in that new theme. I felt like every film had one new song that really was a standout spotlight performance, be it the Imperial March in Empire or Into the Trap, Of Return of the Jedi, Duel of the Fates, Across the Stars, Battle of the Heroes, Ray's theme. This one, I know he wrote Rose's theme, but it doesn't feel like a standout piece to me. And I listened to that soundtrack three times. I just can't find the standout track. It's the first time I feel William's score works best in accompanying the movie instead of listening to as a CD.
3: What he did a lot in this uh, score is relied on old music they even have the tie fighter attack bit from a new hope is in there when the the falcons flying through the the uh, crystal cavern he relies a lot on the old music and i think it's done very effectively in fact my favorite track of the soundtrack is uh, called the spark where it starts off with the force theme it's right when luke shows up there at the end at the the rebel base uh, on crate, and it starts with the force theme, moves into the Luke and Leia theme, moves into the Han and the the princess theme, and then goes into this big bombastic, you know, badass section where Luke walks out there to confront the entire First Order, and I could listen to that track all day because it pulls in so much of the the great music from the original trilogy while also adding something new at the very end, and it gets my heart racing every time I hear it. So what are your guys' expectations for Episode nine? Do you have any idea where it goes from here? Nope. I have absolutely no idea. I was talking with my wife about it um, after we left the theater, and I was saying, you know, I think that after The Force Awakens... I had so much speculation going on. I was foreseeing how they were going to tell the story. And it's like, oh, they're going to talk about Ray's lineage. And you know, Luke's going to come back and save the day. And Kylo Ren's going to be bouncing back and forth between the light and the dark with the conflict that he showed in The Force Awakens. After this movie, I have no idea what they're going to do with it. And I think J.J. Abrams has the hardest job in Hollywood right now trying to follow this up and take it someplace that feels as fresh and new as this movie while still bringing a close to the trilogy, which is something that he's not really known for doing. He likes to ask questions. He doesn't really care to answer them so much. So I have no idea what they're going to do with it. It almost feels like they have to make some sort of leap in time, like, you know, go eight or 10 years into the future to figure out what's going on. Cause it, at the end of this movie, it's no longer the first order versus the resistance. It's the first order versus what they start calling the rebellion. Like they say, the rebellion is reborn today. And so I, I don't have any idea what's going to happen. So if you guys know, please enlighten me. Well, going back to what you had kind of said earlier,
4: Arnie, this kind of felt like, um, not necessarily the middle of a trilogy, but almost the ending with how many things they kind of tied up in this film. And, Kind of where do we go from here? So I'm personally, I'm kind of expecting you know the Ray versus Kylo kind of final showdown, possibly. I really don't think that that uh, Mark Hamill is done. I think he'll definitely get him back as a force ghost. I'm hoping you get him back as a force ghost. Um, you know, with Carrie passing away, I really don't know what they're gonna do with her character. Uh, I know that they had talked, had a story group meeting shortly after her death and talking about things to do and different things and heard rumors of what they said they would or wouldn't do at that time. But, you know, is her death going to be off screen? Does that serve her character well? And this princess that we've known for so many years to to be gone and get that off screen death, we, we kind of, she's kind of owed something on screen, I think. So, you know, going forward, it's a bunch of speculation, but I, I think it's going to be all completely new just because there was so many things tied up in this one.
7: They missed the boat if they wanted to give Carrie an on screen um send off um it's either going to be done via the the opening crawl she's either going to be killed off in the opening crawl or she'll be given an akbar death off off screen i mean unless they've got existing footage of her they've said they're not going to um, CGI manipulate her so unless they film something that they can reuse within episode 9 for me that that's the only option that that they can take my, my fear for for episode 9 and i agree with andrew in that i think jj's just got the hardest job on but m- my fear is that they've they've ended so much of what happened to the the main characters in this particular film in that the next film is he, just set up for what goes what goes on beyond and th- again this is one of my major problems in that i, I feel that this trilogy isn't going to be used to wrap up the e- existing storyline of the nine films like we were we were promised it, it would do it instead it's just going to be used as a springboard to set up what what however many future films we're going to we're going to get um and, and for me that's a problem now of course it's difficult to make that judgment when, you, when you've when you just seen episode 8 and at the end of episode 9 I I might be talking very differently
6: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, I can see all of those points especially the ones Steve just brought up about how it feels like this, this almost feels wrapped up, you know, I mean this would be a great place to leave this trilogy, but we do know there's one more episode coming, and I, I also think that a, a leap in time may be what's needed here but then I, I stop and I think about you know, with a new hope when it was just star Wars that ended and it could have been a standalone movie. You know, we, we left it with the death star being blown up and Darth Vader spinning off into space. That's, that's enough of a story, but we come back with empire. And I, at that time I didn't feel like, Oh, this is just rebooting a story or kicking a new story off just for the sake of kicking a story off. So I have faith that, you know, they, they have something more for these characters to do and finalize what we've seen in these first two movies.
2: You have a point there, Justin, that got me thinking something I hadn't before, which is, I had thought that the next episode would put a bow on it, but what if the next episode is like episode three? What if we see is Ray, Finn, Poe, and Rose build a new rebellion, and that's the triumph of that film, is they light the spark again, you know, they build the fire, but... The First Order still rules until the next trilogy. I mean, that could be the case. And I suppose it's worth throwing out there, is a Star Wars film a year? And I feel like I'm talking to some of the most hardcore Star Wars fans I know. So I don't ask this lightly. Is a Star Wars film a year too much of a good thing?
6: Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Most definitely. Well, how about every six months then? Because that's what you got next. <laughs> no. but, then, but then you're back to a year. Yeah,
8: then it's eighteen months after
6: that. Is I've, it
8: eighteen? I thought it was. I thought I thought episode nine was in December. I like a movie a year. I'm fine with it answer the question.
1: I've already had brain mush from this and got my Mon Calamari all mixed up and had to have Steve help me because I was really <laughs> confused over who... <laughs> did they really kill Akbar? I thought he was in Rogue One. So I totally got confused.
5: Although both could have been true because Rogue One was yes. a- ahead of this timeline. But I think what's going to ev- inevitably happen is that we're going to get so many Star Wars movies that it's going to become a buffet. And, and not every movie... Just kind of like Marvel right now. I mean, the, you, you can... Dislike a Doctor Strange, love Guardians of the Galaxy, think Iron Man 3's weak, but think Iron Man 1's the greatest movie ever. I mean, you're going to go to the buffet table of Star Wars movies because there's eventually going to be 25 of them and think that, yeah, I'm going to watch these three, this one, I'll never go back to that trilogy, Rogue One's awesome, Solo sucked. I mean, it's just inevitably going to have to become that.
10: Being the Yoda guy, I absolutely was... Giddy when Yoda appeared on screen. I the first screening, I was smiling ear to ear. Sarah looks over at me and she just kind of gives me this little nod because she could just see I had this grin on my face.
0: Did you know?
3: Second,
10: I didn't know. No, did, I was. Did
3: anybody know? I knew. Yeah, Frank Oz spoiled it at the red carpet.
10: I didn't watch that, so and yeah, I'm glad I did he let
3: slip he he said what did he say? He said something like, you know, they asked him the same old rote question of, you know, how's it feel to, you know, be the person who created such an iconic character and, you know, he gave the same rote answer that you always hear. And then he ended it with, so yeah, I'm really uh, thankful that, you know, I am still playing it to this day. And I was like, well, you could read into that, that maybe he's talking about how he voiced Yoda in rebels. Yeah. Like yeah, I took that as a rebels but reference. The, yeah. The way he said it, I was like, ah, oh, betcha he's in the last Jedi. That's why he would have been there. Yeah.
1: And apparently the Star Wars show interviewed him as well because they interviewed the entire cast, including Frank Oz, before the movie came out.
10: Well, I don't watch that show. (laughs) But uh, let me just say I'm glad that I didn't have it spoiled because it had been spoiled for me, it would have lost some of the magic. Like I said, the first viewing, I had the grin. The second viewing, I had goosebumps when he came on. And it was just, it was amazing to see Yoda back and kind of, you, you get both sides of Yoda that you got in empire. You get that uh, weird little hermit Yoda who's kind of having fun with Luke, but then you also get the serious Jedi master still schooling Luke to this day, you know, telling Luke that he needs to learn from his failure and uh, you know, and then you even get it to the point where, you know, he mentions the books, he kind of makes a joke about it, but I think that he, Yoda knew Ray took those books out of there already before he, he did that. So, being the Yoda guy, I was just on a cloud nine with that.
6: What one thing I really enjoy is the the way we wrap up with our heroes in this film is everything that we know and love in the Star Wars universe is now contained in the Millennium Falcon. You know, the the Jedi temple writings, the Luke saber that's broken in half, the, the what's left of the rebellion is all on the Millennium Falcon, the ship that was once piloted by Han Solo, the guy who could very much tried to not get involved on either the good side or the, the bad side. He just wanted to do his own thing in the middle and it, it's just kind of I, good irony that everything that we know about Star Wars that exists at this time is inside that ship and there, there was a shot right at the very end there where they show Rey and it almost seems purposeful that they show Rey and her holster is empty like she doesn't have her trusty blaster at her side anymore while getting onto the, the former smuggler's ship.
2: I did like the Yoda return, and I liked the fact that they returned to using a puppet instead of CGI, and that it was silly Empire Strikes Back, I've been alone too long, and I'm going a little slap-happy Yoda. But did he look a little off to anyone else? Like, I couldn't quite place it. It felt like it was, like, halfway between Phantom Menace Yoda and the other five movies Yoda.
3: Yeah, he didn't have any teeth. That's Ah. what what caught me, is I was... was I was yeah. trying to figure out it looked like, you know, when you try to pretend like you have no teeth and you, you cover them up with your lips and you try to talk like an old person, that's what it looked like to me cuz he didn't have those creepy pointy teeth that you see in Empire and Jedi. So I don't know if force ghosts if if they, you know they can't, you know, pick up a toothbrush, right, and floss. So well, you, maybe force ghosts lose their teeth, I don't know. Your dentures don't get a force ghost. <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
10: I thought that that first initial shot of him, I'm not sure or not if that was a puppet or a CGI. That looked CGI to me. The rest of it looked like the puppet, and Daryl and I discussed this a little bit that night. The mouth looks a little bit off, and maybe it is the teeth, but the mouth looks a little bit off, and his fingers looked a little bit off on the puppet. They looked a little big, but other than those two things, I couldn't really pick anything else out, but those two looked to be off as far as the puppet was concerned.
2: He also seemed just a little bit less blue than the previous Force Ghosts. I may be nitpicking at this point, but there was some scenes where it looked like he was actually there.
3: Yeah, I had the same thought, Arnie. He he, he started off as a blue glowy, but by the end, it was basically like he was sitting right there next to Luke.
4: Broom boy needs to go.
3: <laughs> I loved that moment. What are you talking about? I, loved I hated that, that moment. I, I like thought, that moment. I thought it was great cuz it's it, for a couple of reasons. One, it starts off with him playing with action figures, right? I mean, he's got a Luke action figure. How <laughs> cool is that? Exactly. It's a, it's a TV commercial. So That's you. exactly what it is. No, come on. Come on, and the whole, you know, there's, you know, we talked about earlier where Luke is talking about how, you know, he's this legend and the galaxy doesn't need him. And Ray says, well, maybe what the galaxy needs is a legend. And that's exactly what's happening in that last scene is that the legendary status of Luke Skywalker is what is going to cause these kids to grow up and fight back against the First Order. And it carries that through line of, you know, a nobody can still be a somebody. And I I just, I think it's a, I I didn't expect that scene. I thought that we were going to iris out when the, the Falcon's flying through hyperspace. But that little tag on the end, I thought was,
7: I thought it was great. I loved that moment. It's two Star Wars films in a row that have not ended when they should have ended. Force Awakens should have ended instead of going into that sort of, helicopter shot that span round Luke and Ray on on Acto. And this should have finished when you suggested it should have irised out, Andrew. The the kid acting in this was horrible. That ring was so cheesy. The the fact he's got a broom like Harry Potter. Oh it 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 didn't it did not work for me at all.
2: I never thought Harry Potter. I thought Fantasia and the dancing brooms, and this is a Disney property now, so maybe Broom Boy can do that.
6: I, I didn't love the scene. I understand why it's there. I understand what they're trying to set up, and that, you know, mostly it's it's for the kids in the theater, and as a kid, this would have spoken to me. You know, as, as a nine-year-old sitting in the theater, it's like, yes, I feel like I can be inside of Star Wars now. And I, I get that. And if this is the way they're gonna they're gonna nod at kids in seats rather than give me Jar Jar Binks, I'm I'm all for it. To me, if you're getting
5: rid of anything, even though it, it had the good moment with Luke and Kylo, I I looked at my watch to on the third like the third viewing to say, hey, how much of this movie got extended because of our visit to crate? Because to me, that was like because of what I knew from the trailer and some of the toys that when the movie kind of felt like it was ending, when they all got off of the ship after it got destroyed and then Kylo wakes up and realizes Ray's gone, that kind of felt like there could have been an ending somewhere there. I'm like, Oh dear God, we still have to go to this planet. There's still 30 minutes left of this movie. And I guess we had to get our Hoth scene in there or something. But to me, that, that trip to that planet is what should have went. I kind of, I kind of like the, Hey, let's, Let's go to and see these three kids are going to be impacted by the the hope or the uh, the fire they're going to spark and light or whatever that that phrase they said like nine times was. Now, the ring was dumb, but to me, the whole the, the whole trip to Crate was just really extraneous that 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 all should have been melded into the final battle in space somehow.
8: If this were a different franchise, Broom Boy would have been a post credit scene. And this movie would have ended with the Millennium Falcon (laughs) where it should have. Instead, it just sort of made it end awkwardly, which you you don't want to make people leave the theater thinking a film ended awkwardly. So maybe Star Wars needs to incorporate post-credit scenes now.
10: (laughs) We have flashback scenes for the first time.
8: So will you all be buying your
2: resistance rings that I have a feeling will be marketed very, very soon? Resistance decoder
3: rings.
6: Yes. <laughs> In marked boxes of Kellogg's Frosted
5: Flakes. I did already pre-order the steel books from Best Buy. Those are available now, by the
2: way. All right. Well, speaking of buying, we will be back next time looking back at the collecting of 2017 and looking forward to 2018. To wrap up this call, let's just go around and say, what are your expectations for the Han
3: Solo movie? Andrew. Oh, you had to pick me first. My expectation for the Han Solo movie is it's going to be better than I am expecting it to be, because right now I'm expecting it to be pretty horrible. Ron Howard gives me a little bit of hope, but this is a movie that I didn't want. I still don't want. Um, To me, Han's origin story is a new hope. Honestly, I don't really care about this movie. Once I see some footage, that may change. But for right now, I mean, I'll go see it. Because it's Star Wars, but I don't really care about it at all. Chris, I'm so conflicted
10: because I want it to be a good movie, but I just I don't have a good feeling about it. I don't know, and I I like Andrew. I don't need this origin story. There's origin stories that have been thrown around for certain characters. This is one I don't need, and I just I don't know. From everything we've seen, it just looks like it's a mess. I hope it turns out to be better,
9: uh, but I at this point I don't anticipate good things. Curtis. I just want to see more of the Millennium Falcon since it seems to be the through line from 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and if you squint really hard, episode 3. So, more Falcon and not cheesy, and I think it's going to be okay.
4: Daryl? I think we're going to get some good action scenes in it Uh, chase scenes or speeder bike or whatever it happens to be. Um, Story wise, My expectations, like K2SO, instead of being high, very high, they're low, very low. So we'll see, you know, once the characters (laughs) kind of come through or whatever, how it works out. You know, can Ron Howard salvage it from what the other two directors had? But it just, it seems like it's so messed up now that they're just hoping that they can salvage something good out of it. Jerry.
5: You know, I I can't believe I'm going to say this. But this one of my expectations is, is I probably will not see this movie on opening weekend. I'm not going to rush out on a Thursday night, a Friday or maybe even the first weekend of Memorial Day, I think, is when it comes out to see it. Unless some of you see it and tell me that it's actually really good. I can completely pass on this movie and wait for a red box. I have zero interest in seeing this movie. Justin?
6: Wow, I guess I, I was gonna be the one who felt indifferent to this, but I guess Jerry's kind of passionate about not wanting to see this one. So he's passionate about his indifference. There you go. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm not hyped on this movie yet. Of course they haven't started the hype machine. All we've heard is behind the scenes stuff. The general public, I think, at for the most part, isn't even aware of this yet. And they've only got a short, you know, four or five months to get people in line for this. After Rogue One, I think that was a fine movie. It's not my favorite Star Wars movie. It's not my least favorite. I, I think I'm going to look at these anthology movies the same way I look at some of the Marvel movies that I'm not super excited about. You know, Years ago when Guardians of the Galaxy was first coming out, I remember we all sat around kind of going like, what? It's going to be a, a movie with a talking tree and a raccoon? Whatever. End up being one of our favorite movies. Han Solo could surprise us. You know, Or it could be a Doctor Strange where I'm like, "Eh, I saw it, good enough, don't need to go back and revisit it again. Marjorie.
1: Well, I'm going to see it, but it kind of falls in the camp of, I don't know that it's needed. Is Han really the one that we're all like, ooh, how did Han get to where he was? I don't think so. I think we'd rather have it about maybe someone interesting. I know people have been dying and it's been rumored for so long for the Boba Fett movie or the Boba Fett TV series. So maybe they should have picked a different character, but, you know, we'll see it. I'll have an open mind. And I'm going to be 100% certain that Han Solo is not going to milk an alien cow and drink right from that.
7: (laughs) Steve? I'm hoping this is going to be an anthology story that really does truly stand alone. I mean, Rogue One didn't, did it? It tied into um, the plot of New Hope, and I want this to stand alone. I, I don't want it to be... Um, you, you know, it, it excessively tied in, leading to future plot points. I want Han in a in a different situation than we've ever seen him before. I I trust the main actor. I really like Alden Ehrenreich, and and I have, a, I have hope that he, he's going to do a good job. I've liked other stuff he's been in, um, but for me, I think it is going to stand or fall on its humour. Han has been the sort of witty character through the original trilogy um and and i think that the humor could sort of make or break this i thought humor was a big problem in the last jedi i'm not saying i didn't find it funny um but it it was very sort of modern humor that didn't fit well with the star wars universe it was like watching um saturday night live tv sketches sort of just transferred straight across in, in into a, a a star wars movie um you know the, the the idea the concept of of somebody in star wars knowing what putting somebody on hold was um really sort of took me out of the movie right at the start so if they if they misjudge the humor like i think they did in the last jedi in this film then it could make it torturous and matt
8: well i guess i'm sort of the outlier here and that i'm actually looking forward to it i think with whatever, Richie Cunningham, you are you're you know you're going to get a competently made movie, and you might get a great movie. I don't think he's going to turn in something bad. And, I mean, if you want to go back to the original trilogy era, Han is really the only character you can use. You can't do, a, I mean, a Luke backstory would not be any good. A Leia would be too intermixed in galactic politics and all that. So this could be fun. And I really like the guy they've got playing Chewbacca now. So... The, the only thing I'm apprehensive about is how they're going to work R2-D2 and C-3PO into it, since apparently they have to make a cameo in every film. So that could be awkward.
3: If they do that, I may scream at the screen. <laughs> <laughs> My theory is going to be that it ends
2: in a cantina with R2 and 3 po walking in and being told we don't serve their kind here.
3: That would be
8: reasonable. That would be the best possible solution if if it's really going to go right up to A New Hope, sort of like Rogue One, but
2: all right well everyone thank you for this conversation i have greatly enjoyed it i was mostly quiet if people want to hear my thoughts on the last jedi Stuart, jacob and i reviewed it over at nowplayingpodcast.com but we are going to be back talking the toys of star wars 2017 until then may the pegs be stocked and the force be with you
0: Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can find pictures of the toys reviewed, chat with other Star Wars collectors, and find hundreds of Star Wars Action News episodes at our website, swactionnews.com. This podcast is created by Star Wars fans showing their love of Star Wars. We rely on listener support to keep the show going. You can pledge to our Podbean fundraising campaign by going to SWActionNews.com support. Backers get rewards including exclusive video content, early show releases, and more. You can also help out our show by telling your friends to listen, by posting on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or in person. We would also greatly appreciate a five-star review written on iTunes. A link to our iTunes feed is at SWActionNews.com. We want your feedback on Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at SWActionNews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at SWActionNews.com, the most friendly forums on the web. You can also find Star Wars Action News on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. The links to our social media sites are at SWActionNews.com. You can also send us your latest store reports, figure reviews, and more. Email us an MP3 or iPhone voice memo at show at swactionnews.com. All content received is subject for use on the show. If you also enjoy Marvel Comics, you can hear Arnie and Marjorie talk about the toys and statues based on Marvel Comics characters on the Marvelicious Toys podcast at MarveliciousToys.com. Star Wars Action News is always looking for new people to help with the show. You can find a list of skills we need on our blog at venganza.media.com. Star Wars Action News is created, produced, edited, and hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. Video editing by Barrett, Andrew, and Daryl. Website design by Jason. Graphic design by Jay. Photo editing by Scott and Curtis. Announcements by Brock segments created by andrew brock daryl jerry jonathan nathan and steve for more star wars collecting check out galactichunter.com, jedidefender.com, jedi temple archives.com and yakface.com and we thank those sites for their support of star wars action news star wars action news is not affiliated with lucasfilm limited Star Wars and all of the Star Wars universe contains is trademark and copyright Lucasfilm limited a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company all rights reserved Star Wars action news is a Venganza media production copyright 2017 all rights reserved and no part of this show may be reproduced repurposed or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza media incorporated Star Wars action news now this is podcasting.
5: I mean, you you can dislike a Doctor Strange, love Guardians of the Galaxy, think Iron Man 3's weak, but think Iron Man one's the greatest movie ever.
6: I mean, I'm sorry, I can't let it pass that you just said Doctor Strange love and not mean Doctor Strange love. <laughs> <sense. laughs> <laughs> well
3: played, nice. <laughs>